it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Chris Haughty. He is an accomplished screenwriter and novelist. The fourth book in his popular Haley Chill Thrillers, The Devil You Know, is available from Atria, wherever books are sold. Chris, thank you very much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here, Terrence. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. And I'd love to be able to hear about uh, your latest entry into the Haley Chill Thrillers and uh, talk about the series in general. Uh, well, this latest book, The Devil You Know, comes out May 23rd, available for pre-order today. Um, it begins with, uh, on Christmas Eve, when a Supreme Court justice is shockingly strangled in his own kitchen by a member of his protection detail. Uh, authorities subsequently assign additional protection to other Supreme Court justices, believing that there might be some kind of broader conspiracy against them. As one character says later in the book, it seems like uh, open season has been declared on Supremes. Mm -hmm. Haley Chill, my franchise protagonist, uh, under the guise of a active FBI agent, is assigned to a vacationing Supreme Court justice in Hawaii on Maui. Okay. And uh, simultaneously with her arrival on the island uh, and joining the uh, uh, U.S. Marshals who protect that uh, Supreme Court justice, a school bus full of local school children are kidnapped and literally disappear seemingly off the face of the earth. And it's up to Haley Chill to connect those two disparate uh, and uh, potentially terrifying events and see that connection and resolve both of them within a matter of a few days. That's the general premise of the new book. Right, and it sounds like it was ripped from today's headlines as they say, because of uh, a lot of the threats that Supreme Court justices faced uh, last year and uh, a lot of the uh, raised rhetoric that surrounds public officials in general these days. I, I seem to have a knack for that. I think that uh, if only I could write thrillers about the stock market, then I think <laughs> you could probably read advanced review copies of my books and, and make millions of dollars because this happened uh, This happened with the last book, with Storm Rising, where I, I sort of cherry-picked one relatively obscure article out of a military periodical that delved into uh, issues of white supremacy among active members of the U.S. military. And while I was writing the book in 2020, seemingly 
all of a sudden white supremacy in America became a, a bigger and bigger and, <laughs> and continually controversial subject matter in, in media uh, and social media. So yeah, the, um, the, the kidnapping of a school bus was also uh, based on an actual news event, uh, but of I think about 15 or 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. That happened in California. Um, I won't go into too many details about what happened there, uh, but uh, it doesn't really impact what I did with that uh, idea for for um, uh, a crime. But um, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 topical and and um, and timely. Right, and well told too, as this is the fourth book in the Haley Chill thrillers. Um, it's funny, you, we were just talking about plot points and being ripped from today's headlines. Um, I've got a, my own thriller series, and in it I talk about how Russian covert operators and Chinese covert operators from CCP get together and form their own cabal. And there I can't you tell you how I can't tell you how many people uh, told me that's ridiculous. You're being uh, jingoistic. That won't happen. We've we've got China on our side, and I <laughs> I'm not Nostradamus. I just pay attention to things. That's really all it is. So I understand how you came up with that kind of a plot. And, and you're referring to the Putin's recent visit, or 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 the Chinese president, president's recent visit to Moscow. I can't remember who visited who, but that's- Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think if anything has been proven in the last, I don't know, I guess about six or eight years, I, I think anything that we can dream up as thriller novelists, uh, it, it, it can't hold a candle to actual events as they unfold in today's world. It's exactly right. You know, I've gotten that on the technology front. And then in my last book, I had a um, North Korean um, um, operation, intelligence operation in uh, Koreatown in San, San Francisco. And a bunch of people said, that's ridiculous. The FBI had never let that happen. And then we heard the Chinese had the same thing going on this year. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, and, and God knows I don't have any clearance. I, I, I barely have door clearance, much less any kind of security clearance. But it's basically, you know, you just pay attention to this stuff and they almost write themselves, isn't that right? Yeah. In some ways, Terrence, I think it, it's helpful not to have clearance. I mean, I yes. uh, several of my friends, uh, author friends are former, you know, fill in the blank, uh, Navy SEALs, FBI agents, uh, NSA or CIA employees. And they they have to be much more circumspect about what they yes. put into their books. You and I, on the other hand, don't no shit. <laughs> so we can make yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. And as long as we're still walking around, then I guess we've got something. Going. We haven't hit it too close to the mark. Yeah. Well, we're sort of like a, we're like a broken clock, man. Once a day, we're, we're going to be, we're going to hit it, you know, <laughs> and not get in trouble. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. I know. And, and plus no anyway. one can really when I, my second book revolved around the NSA, Savage Road, and, you know, so few people, the, the few people who know what actually goes on there from the most mundane details to, you know, obviously the, the programs and activities they're involved in, so few people have real awareness of that. 
right. that the overwhelming majority, I mean, 90, 99.5% of our possible readers can't possibly fact check, check us. So they just have to take it. If you're, if you're pretty good at faking it, then you're going to, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the, you know, that's what I've done with my books is I'm not writing a textbook on uh, intelligence gathering or being how to be a spy, but as long as it's plausible enough, people tend to enjoy the ride. And that's yeah. as entertainers, what you and I are, and other people right. in the genre are up to, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now you've got, um, this is your fourth uh, Haley Chill thriller. And I was wondering for you, how has the character evolved over the last uh, course of books? Well, uh... It's no surprise that, you know, as you, if you're going to put a character in four books, she, she definitely, or he, he or she will definitely evolve as characters and invariably become more uh, developed and multi-layered. So, you know, I, I think in the first book in Deep State, Haley Chill was pretty clear cut. You know, I, I, I suggested and hinted at various character aspects that that there there literally wasn't enough real estate in the book to really develop all that much her backstory her relationship with her her family and her father in particular and then her personal life because in that book she has a fairly limited i mean that's a character choice she has a very limited character life and uh private right. life excuse me and um and so as the books have come out, I've been spending more and more time with uh, those aspects of her character. And in particular, in this latest book, uh, The Devil You Know, if, if you have any familiarity with the series at all, you know that Haley Chill, uh, you know, she works hard and she plays pretty hard. She's, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and she does not have a lot of release uh, from the high stress of her occupation. And she finds that release, she had been finding that release in drinking pretty hard. And then um, uh, I hope this is allowed in your podcast, uh, when she sure. would be drinking pretty hard, uh, the result would either, you know, she would uh, end up fighting someone or fucking someone or both. So right. by this fourth book, um, she's having to grapple with that, uh, with that issue in her personal life, her drinking. And it, it comes to a very dramatic head. And uh, in prior books, that her drinking doesn't really affect her performance as right. an operative. But in this book, it does rather dramatically, and she takes the problem in hand and does something about it. Right, which makes her more relatable than um, just if she was a, a super soldier or a super cop who was immune to anything and did yeah. not give in to emotions, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I initially set out to try and create a, a character who would accomplish uh, some some big things and 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 show some real abilities, but I also wanted to make her very much a, 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 an every woman. 
I didn't want mm -hmm. her to be some kind of kind of movie action hero who did seem uh, capable of anything. And I was always kind of surprised in some some occasional reviews, uh, you know, on Goodreads or Amazon, where 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 readers would critique her as a as a superwoman and and so i've never been able to quite figure out why that is because i don't i i intentionally have her resolve most of her uh you know the hurdles that are thrown in front of her in ways that almost anyone could you know figure them out she doesn't you know she doesn't have any real superpowers except uh you know and a, a, a sort of a almost a photographic memory which i don't trot out very often right. um you know what really sets her apart i think is a very human uh persistence and relentlessness and a strong ideology and those are all those are all skills and abilities and and attributes that i think practically anyone at any age can and any gender can can uh uh display so yeah I, i'm i'm always surprised by that but yes in in this case she really come in the fourth book she really is is revealed as having some very very human flaws that i think anyone we all know someone my own my own father was an alcoholic i've had alcoholics in my in my uh immediate life i'm not an alcoholic but I, I just have to imagine every reader has someone that they can sort of relate this this aspect um uh of a of a character and um i took pains to get it right i i i have a friend who's a re uh, recovered alcoholic and and she mm -hmm. was very helpful in in giving me advice and reading some of these passages. I I really didn't want to screw that one up. Right. Yeah. And there's a there's a certain authenticity that's required if you're going to dip into that part of the creating pool. And uh, it sounds like you've done that with with great care. It's not just a plot device. You certainly want to uh, give it its its most accurate presentation possible. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I learned early on, you know, as a Hollywood screenwriter, you don't really have to get things right. You just kind of uh, you kind of do the outlines, and then if the if the project moves into production, they might hire some experts or some specific writers to get those those outlines filled in. And um, I, I and and I learned it in Deep State in regards to weapons and and guns, which I wasn't super familiar with. Right. Uh, and so I, 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 I did uh, take pains to uh, educate myself more on uh, weaponry and, and, uh, and I just realized, you know, from that experience that that pertained to everything in books, that reader, it's a much different, you know, the relationship between a reader and a book is much right. different than a, than a person going to the movies or turning on their TV and whatever movie or TV show that they're watching, it's a it's, it's a it's much different. People, readers really want that authenticity and that that correctness. So I try and do that with every detail that I put into a book. I double check and make sure that I, I I've got it right. 
Right. And I also, uh, to your point, I think there's also more of a tactile relationship between people reading a book, whether it's on an e-reader, which they still have to hold, or it's a physical paper book um, that they hold. I think that's why they seem to have more of a relationship to something they've chosen to read rather than just something that they turn on the TV and, oh, they channel surf and, oh, this is on. It's more of a passive experience television yes. than yeah. an actual reading, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's 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 definitely, you you, you nailed it with the 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 uh, contrast of active and and passive enjoyment and and also i think readers understand that uh, a book is really written by one person uh, mm -hmm. and uh, any any tv show any movie that you see and uh, believe me i've been in both worlds i i i can certainly appreciate the difference is a you know in uh, film and tv it's a collaborative effort that involves hundreds of people. I mean, sit through all the credits sometime and see how many people were involved in creating your favorite movie and you'll you'll get an idea. And not everyone, in fact, the, some of the most important decision makers uh, in the creation of that TV show or movie aren't even listed on the credits. And I'm talking about, you know, the studio executives. Uh, right. and, and they're the ones who are helping shape that in a very dramatic way. So, Unlike books, where you know we, you know, as authors, we have editors, but it's 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 uh, they're really there to help just kind of uh, really sand down the burrs. And and when a reader picks up a book, they're really inviting another person inside their head, and that's a that's right. a big deal, I think. That's right, and it's it's funny how people will seize on certain things. I know from my experience of writing westerns. They, uh, as you said earlier, you have to get the armaments right, and it's you know, and it, same thing with a uh, a spy thriller or a techno thriller. You have to get the the technology and the terminology right because if you make a mistake, they'll forgive a character disappearing, they'll forgive a plot hole, but if it's something that they know well, like horses or guns or cars, yeah. and, and, and you lose them there, <laughs> you've lost them forever. And it's so funny, but it's, but it's, it's good. It keeps the writer accountable. And um, it also, there's, they've invested their time and their money in something. They deserve their, uh, what they think is right. Yeah, I'm impressed that you write Westerns. I, I was reading, uh, God, he's, I, the name is escaping me, but he's a, uh, he's a writer from uh, the, uh, uh, he's still alive, but he's, he, his books mainly were from the 80s, 90s, and early aughts, and I'm spacing on his name, but from Montana, that type of world, and you, I just could not believe how much detail, it wasn't, it wasn't like a laundry list of detail that I think some authors might get into where they just give you too much detail about that isn't necessary to the story, but it's the kind of detail that really does build atmosphere. Uh, right. And I just realized that just there's so much nomenclature and a deep understanding to get um, Westerns right that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm impressed by that. 
Um, the first mistake I made when I, when I with Deep State, uh, like I said, I was coming from the world of screenwriting and things didn't really matter. You just put gun or big gun right. <laughs> or loud gun in your screenplay. Right. And then, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the armor that they would hire for the production would like figure out exactly which big gun, what brand and um, or model, etc. And um, but uh, I had I had chosen to specify um, I think it was a TSA guy or maybe a, a just a policeman at an airport and uh, a character is trying to escape the country and and uh, and I described the the cop pulling a a Glock, which the 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 bad guy was able to get his hands on, and I think I wrote something like, uh, "Oh, you know, someone said something," or I describe it as, "Not to worry, you know, the safety is on." <laughs> and, oh yeah, and and uh, like like at the time I knew nothing about guns and didn't know to, to double check anyway, and. Yes. Um, um, uh, my editor, Emily Bessler, uh, gave the manuscript to Jack Carr to, to blurb, and, and uh, he was the one who, who kindly and generously uh, alerted Emily to tell me that uh, Glocks don't have safeties. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I, you know, interestingly, Terrence, I heard from another, uh, another super fan, and I believe author, um, had also received a, a copy of the ARC and brought that up with me. You know, I've heard it from a few different people, but it, he was like, he was also, he was a super duper gun nerd and said, well, um, interestingly enough that I can't remember which model Glock it was, whatever, it was a 19 or something, but he said like, in actuality, some you know, Glocks don't come with safeties, but some version, some special version of a Glock did have a safety. And I said, well, you know, I think I'm just going to play it safe. And we took it, <laughs> we took out the safety line in the finished copy of the book, but uh, it can be tricky business, this authoring. It definitely can be. Yeah. And, uh, but as long as we remind ourselves that we have to be aware of it, then we can kind of uh, sidestep some of the larger, more obvious landmines anyway, uh, yeah. to continue the weapon point. Yeah, I just interviewed Jack uh, Carr a couple of weeks ago, and he's he's the kind of guy who's awesome. He can get his point across without being too pointed about it. He can nudge you in the right direction. He's yeah. got a, a great mm -hmm. gift with dealing with people that way. Nicest guy in the business. Yeah, really is. And he's got a, a, a real artistic vision that I, I think people are starting to understand because he's not just writing a run and gun stuff. He's not just writing about hoorah seals. He's, he's, he's really tackled a human element there. And I think he's doing something special. Yeah. I really exactly. do. Now, 100%. When you, you've had a, a lot of experience with screenwriting and now you've uh, got a lot of experience in uh, writing successful and popular novels. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a movie on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit about chess. And I know it was written by Walter Tevis years ago. And I know that some people were complaining, and I think rightfully so, about how the female character dealt with grief and dealt with a loss, uh, a loss of confidence. 
as opposed like she would have like like a male character would have dealt with it. And since you've got a female protagonist and a very strong female protagonist, I was wondering how do you broach as as a white guy like me, how do you broach writing a uh, conflicted female protagonist uh, in a convincing way? Well, I, I, you know, I get that. I get that question pretty often uh, in at book events or or in podcasts. And interestingly, I, I have not seen. I, I mean, I could count on one hand, and maybe even if just a few fingers, the number of times that readers. Um, again, I, I spend unlimited hours a day poring over my good 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 read. Uh, reviews and Amazon reviews by by the sounds of it, but um, right. <laughs> not too often. You know, you know, every 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 once in a blue moon, someone will go, uh, oh, you know, this is just some old white guy. Why, you know, how what does he know about a woman's voice or a woman's character? Right. And uh, you know, I think at at base at base level, I. I firmly reject the idea that any artist, um, you know, is, is limited by his or her identity or race or sexual orientation or religion or any of our attributes as human beings from, mm -hmm. from delving into attributes that we don't share. I mean, if we, I, I, I just think that's just the most anti-artistic, uh, 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 what's the word? It's not a movement, but suggestion. Um, so I, I think as artists, we have to uh, move outside our own immediate familiarity. Um, mm -hmm. to explore characters, issues, worlds, whatever, uh, conflicts. Um, in, in answer to your, you know, in my, in, in my case, I developed, uh, it wasn't a tendency, but I, I for years and years ago, I wrote a, I, I did a, a adaptation, screenplay adaptation of a graphic novel called Beautiful Killer. Uh, not a well-known title, but uh, it was optioned and I was hired to do the adaptation with Jessica Alba attached uh, as the act, as the lead character. This, 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 uh, I think she was a trained assassin. God, it was a long time ago. But anyway, you know, the, the movie was never made, but I thought the script came out really good. It wasn't my fault that it didn't get made, of course. But um, that just got me started on, you know, I really enjoyed writing that character. And so I, I, I started writing um, these um, uh, screenplays with female protagonists. And they were oftentimes, mm -hmm. not always, but oftentimes action type uh, movies. And so, you know, I, it just became a habit. And because um, most of the protagonists in this genre were male. You know, when I got into this racket, I decided to again go go in a direction that uh, op that was opposite to to everybody else because I just think that you know, quite frankly, in a purely mercenary way, it just increases my odds of 
of success. You want to be a right. You want to be, you want to be something in any in any, I think in any kind of artistic uh, endeavor. You you want to be familiar, but also a little different. And that was my, right. you know, so it was a my little difference was a female protagonist, but it was a familiar world that I was placing her in. So. And and how I achieve the the what I hope is the authenticity of that character is you know I I you know it's just being smart writing smart but also right. you know you write the character not the attributes you know uh, right. character is not attributes it's it's how you 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 know you might come up with attributes female hard drinking you know mm -hmm. former, former military those are all attributes but as you as you create the character and develop it and and the character evolves in a in a book or a series of books, then it just becomes, you know, the character becomes it's his or her own person. And right. you know, you're off and running. So it's, you know, it takes time and and a, a little bit of smarts and and um and just taking care uh with with how you're writing. If that right. makes sense. I agree. That makes perfect sense. And it's a question that I only ask because I hear it a lot from um, different groups when they ask, well, how can you write about this character if you're not like this character? And as someone who's included, you know, gay people in his spy thrillers and, and African-Americans and Latin Americans in his Westerns, I can tell you that it first starts off with having a entertaining story and then having a plot that is plausible and that you put the work in. If you just make the stereotypes or you take a male character and stick a high ponytail on her and she does the same things as a male character, that's pandering and that's not good writing. But right. when you put the kind of work into it that you have and other writers um, who write against, you know, they're not outside their own gender or their own sexual preferences do, it, it really shows in the finished product. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope we never get to that point where we're not, you know, um, as we, a collective we, you know, all mm -hmm. art, artists and writers that we, uh, you know, I know it's also, you know, it's obviously a raging issue these days. Um, it, it's, it's tricky. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're in, uh, we're in somewhat a fragile environment uh, culturally these days. And I, I just think, um you know, if you just, uh, like you said, the words that you said, to do it with some grace and forgiveness and, and effort and thoughtfulness, that's all you can do. And, and we'll, we'll all collectively get through this, uh, rather challenging era, I, I think, eventually. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot of the change that's happened over the last five years, in my opinion, is brand new and people have got to get used to it. Uh, you know, there's a difference between getting it wrong and fighting against it. And I, I haven't seen too many authors uh, in, in our genre anyway, fighting against it. I think everybody's, you have to just assume everybody's trying to do their best. And when you see them fall short, you just kind of call them out on it and say, hey, maybe next time you could change this and give people the benefit of the doubt instead of piling on. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 I have been uh, heartened by the fact that our genre does seem to be pretty uh, supportive and collaborative. Unlike, you know, there are, and I don't know too much about um, 
you know, the exact goings on and some of the other genres I know in, in YA, it gets pretty crazy. And uh, some others where, you know, people do just like you said, they'll pile, you know, other authors and, and super fans will pile on a particular author for some infraction and, and, um, man, it looks, <laughs> it looks mm -hmm. really unruly, but, uh, you know, coming from the world of screenwriting, I was just blown away by the amount of support and, uh, and the welcoming atmosphere of other authors and fans, uh, in the thriller genre. So yeah. I, I, you know, I, I really consider ourselves very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's definitely an adaptable genre. They they when they finally understood what the problem was, I think they're always taking steps to address it, and uh, I think they're going to continue in the future. It's it's very heartening to see. Yeah, ab absolutely, it really is. Well, this book looks like it's going to be every bit as successful and popular as the uh, other three that came before it. What's next for you in in the uh, Haley Chill realm or beyond Haley Chill. Well, that that right now is is uh, sort of top secret. I'm I'm okay. just cooking something up, uh, and um, there is definitely more Haley Chill coming in the future. But uh, uh, more immediately, it's it's a it's a, a closely guarded secret that I won't devolve or devolve. I won't uh, uh, reveal it's here. Close. Yeah, right. Well, as on a podcast such as this, we understand all about top secret and uh, <laughs> important and, and closely held information. There's you no problem with that. You couldn't waterboard it out of me, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you and, could. <laughs> well, we never know. It all depends. It all depends. Um, how can people keep uh, following you and your, your progress? on the internet, social media, places like that. Oh, I'm on all the likely suspects and, and the handles are all, you know, some version of Chris Hottie um, and with an at sign somewhere in there. So <laughs> e easily found, but Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, I, I'm not doing the TikTok yet because we all know it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a Chinese uh, uh, attempt to uh, worm their way into our collective national psyche. Yeah, the Chinese Communist Party is a, is a is a big part of of that technology, and plus, also too, I don't, you know, I, I guess some people have had success selling books on TikTok, but it just seems like it's a, a different medium that um, probably has moved past me and probably past yeah. you as well. <laughs> who who has the about. time? Honestly, it's enough keeping up with three. But yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, I think. Most of our readership is probably not on TikTok, is my guess. Right, probably not. Yeah, I don't see. Uh, yeah, I don't see them on, on TikTok. But who knows? Maybe that'll change in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the time you took to speak to the audience. Absolutely, Terrence. So uh, it was great being on with you and having this conversation. It was. Thank you very much, my friend. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And don't forget that if you're looking for your next big thrill, take a look at bestthrillerbooks.com for the best giveaways and reviews in the business. Thanks a lot, everybody. We'll see you soon. 
You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.